The Big Money Music Hour is brought to you by Les Bourgeois Vineyards, featuring a selection of more than 20 different award-winning local wines with varieties that are dry to sweet and everything in between. Les Bourgeois Vineyards are available at their winery in Rocheport, at area retailers, or online at MissouriWine.com. Hello, and welcome to the Big Money Music Hour, presented by Les Bourgeois Vineyards. I'm your host, Colin Lavote, the shameless voice, playing what's relevant in music from the country of the Midwest and beyond. And tonight, we are going to rock out a little bit. We have none other than Nathan Hunt from Shaman's Harvest, arguably the most successful band, not just rock band, but band period, to ever come out of the mid-Missouri music scene had a great chat about the effect of 90s rock on both of our lives as well as the band's ascension into rock stardom but i i want to uh you know i want i want to reconnect with y'all because you know it's it's been a while since i've just kind of talked a little bit about what's been going on in my mind and I, as you're going to hear, you know, a lot of the stuff I'm playing tonight is new rock music. And, uh, you know, I, every, at the beginning of every year, I, I create a new playlist on Spotify. Uh, and that's where I dump all my, my favorite songs for the year. And I've made my 2021 playlist and so far it's all been rock. And it's really, it, it's heartwarming for me because, uh, the rock is is my is my my passion my love my first love I, I love every genre that's out there there's great music in every genre but rock is what speaks to me and it's the language that I speak when I play music so uh, it's was really a, a kind of a moment that hit me while I was I was driving the other day and I was listening to these songs and really just getting my groove on, enjoying myself. And then I all of a sudden had probably the most visceral flashes I've had to moments in the past where I've been on stage playing music for people, and I realized how much I miss playing music for people and a live audience. It's the, the last year is the longest I've ever gone, and by a long shot, in terms of not playing music for people and i've i realized that what i've been doing is i've been kind of repressing my my want for that my need for that if you will because it it used to seem like a need it used to seem like an addiction almost that that sensation i would get whenever there's a crowd of people that are enjoying what i'm putting out into the world and uh you know but then of course you know covid hit and I realized it wasn't an addiction. It wasn't a need. I can live without it. But what's coupled with living with the lack of live music has been just kind of uh, putting things in the closet. My feelings or thoughts or my memories about the indelible moments that take place not only when I'm playing music to a live audience, but when I'm a part of a live audience experiencing music. 2021 is a new year, but <laughs> it doesn't really feel like it's all that different, uh, aside from perhaps maybe some uh, notable uh, 
lacking of hearing about a certain person's tweets in your daily news. <laughs> I'll I'll take that just about uh just about any day, but uh the it's 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 not that different. We're still not able to safely play shows unless they're drive-in shows or there's extreme and stringent guidelines to keep everyone safe. And that's just where we're at. And it's going to take time. It's probably going to be a whole nother year before things go back to quote unquote normal. And, you know, I, I hope that's not the case, but you know, I'm a realist and that's just where it's at. And, you know, I've been jamming to these rock tunes in the last week. And for the first time I've allowed myself to kind of get back in touch with what it really feels like to relate and be enamored by something that's new and fresh and maybe even, you know, tapping into the nostalgia of what a great live performance can do for me personally. And so bottom line is, is I miss it folks. I, I know you miss it too, but we have to do what we need to do to get through this so we can enjoy these things again. And then when that day comes, whenever we all can appreciate live music as we did, uh, seems a lifetime ago, it'll be a good day. But in the meantime, we have to keep on doing our part and being good citizens. We're going to take a short break. Whenever we come back, my guest is going to be Nathan Hunt from Shaman's Harvest on the Big Money Music Hour presented by Les Bourgeois Vineyards. The Big Muddy Music Hour is presented by Le Bourgeois Vineyards. Located in Rocheport, Missouri, Le Bourgeois Vineyards has been a Missouri winery for more than 30 years, with over 20 different wines ranging in style and sweetness. Le Bourgeois wines are available at local retailers or online at MissouriWine.com. Support also comes from Ozark Mountain Biscuit Company, offering southern-style sandwiches from their food truck and take-and-bake buttermilk biscuits in the freezer section at Columbia Area Hy-Vee's, Clover's, and The Root Cellar. More information at OzarkMountainBiscuits.com. Support also comes from Pizza Tree, offering a wide variety of sourdough-crusted pizzas, salads, beers, and more at their location at Cherry and Ninth in downtown Columbia. Now offering breakfast, Pizza Tree can be ordered online at PizzaTreePizza.com. Support also comes from Amber House Bed and Breakfast. Located in historic Rocheport, Missouri, this full-service inn offers lodging and dinner service open to the public with locally sourced ingredients, a rotating wine list, and an in-house masseuse. more information, visit AmberHouseBB.com. Support also comes from Lizzie and Rocco's Natural Pet Market. With two locations in Columbia, Lizzie and Rocco's is a locally owned natural pet food store. Lizzie and Rocco's nutrition specialists can create custom diets for pets, now offering positive reinforcement dog training. For more information, visit lizzieandrocco's.com. Playing what's relevant in music from the country of the Midwest and beyond, you're listening to the Big Muddy Music Hour, presented by Les Bourgeois Vineyards. My guest this week is the first guest of mine that is from the uh, mid-Missouri area that I can actually lay claim to uh, the fact that 
he's a bona fide rock star. We've had some rock stars and we've had people from, you know, some really fantastic regional acts from the Midwest. But this is the first time, I guess, well, I guess we had Nick from uh, 311. I can't really say that. That he's, counts. He's, yeah. <laughs> but uh, regardless, uh, he's the front man of Shaman's Harvest, who in terms of uh, the level of success that they've had is nothing short of astounding in terms of uh, how it relates to the mid-Missouri scene. I've known uh, Nathan for a long time, and I'm so happy you made the show, man. Thanks for joining us. Uh, thanks for thanks for having me, man. I was getting bored, really bored. <laughs> that's kind of the uh, – that's actually the theme of the night for me. I was talking earlier about how, uh, how much I miss playing music. I um, – you know, I – it's something that I kind of repress and don't think about a lot, but um, I was actually just getting ready for the show this week, and there's a lot of really great new rock music out there, and uh, you know, it just got me thinking back to actual rock shows and how much right. I, I'm, I miss being able to to connect with people in that way. But I want to back things up a bit. Uh, you know, there's there's a lot of area to cover in terms of your story. Um, I mean, I know you, but I don't really know, know you, you know, like more of an acquaintance. We aren't, aren't like very, very close friends. So there's a lot, you know, I want it that I'm interested in filling in the pieces of, uh, your, your story and your journey as a musician, but I usually kick things off by asking a pretty simple question. What started you off on your musical journey? Like what was the instigating factor that made you want to get out there and play music for people? Oh, I I just think, I mean, you know obviously like most musicians like you know you come up and you just you connect with whatever you know record that your family's playing you know at the family dance hour in the living room you know that's uh i just always it it always music always like you know like i hope that it moves everyone but it, it always just grabbed me and drew my full attention where as you know the rest of your day is just kind of uh you know you're just going through the motions even at a young age you're just doing whatever but like that was my special time you know uh sitting at home when parents get off work and listen to records so i wrote a song when i was like 13 or 14 and conned uh my family into thinking it was good or at least they lied to me and uh it it made me believe that it was so uh (laughs) i just kind of decided i wanted to be a songwriter really more more than a a performer but like you know growing up being a teenager in the 90s it was you know you you i'm sure you remember it was intense you know the music was was really intense and and to be at that vulnerable age of development and and, and kind of uh, social uh, uh, distortion, really, uh, and trying to, um, you know, and that went hand-to-hand with the music that was coming out. <clears throat> uh, just a, a bit of rebellion without even knowing what we were rebelling about. Nothing to rebel <laughs> about it as, as a teenager, but... You know, uh, and and it's just an important time uh, for me. And uh, somehow we got together uh, some, oh, it was a party. That's what it was. We were having a party. My parents were out of town. uh, And I was a little, you know, jerk and threw a party 
while they were gone and <laughs> people I had no I'd never met before in my life came over and uh, I was that guy that high school kid with the guitar in the corner that guy and uh, <laughs> you know the rest of the the shamans guys uh, most of them I mean there was like a five gallon bucket Ryan Turnbull he was our original drummer he he uh, picked up and started playing along and we had no one else was paying attention but the four of us were like locked in and I was like you guys want to be in a band and uh it went from there wow that's that's crazy that I, I had no idea because I mean that was going to be one of my questions is how how did the band come about but that, that almost <laughs> it seems like uh something you'd see in a movie and I'm glad you brought up that time because it was actually kind of going to be a, a good chunk of what I wanted to talk about at the beginning in terms of trying to impart how really special that moment in time was for music because you're right the, the 90s rock era has just affected my life in ways I can't even really describe and I don't even know considering how fragmented everything is I mean there's every now we have access to you know every song that comes out on the planet all different types of genres there's never really anymore I feel like some dominant music or movement you know there's always pop music you know there's always going to be pop songs but it was like pop music hip-hop rock you know and rock in the 90s it were these just these these cultural forces that uh whenever everything was kind of siloed for us and on you know rock radio and that was in particular the time whenever 98.3 the buzz was a radio station here in mid-missouri and you know just playing fantastic stuff and you guys did get airtime that's not my like my adolescent blurry memory that that you you guys did get spun on 98.3 right yeah yeah it was uh uh you know we didn't realize that that was a big deal you know we just thought well that's cool that's what you do you play in a you know you're play some write some songs go record it and then you're on the radio. We realized it afterwards that it's a lot harder <laughs> than getting on your local. But they were graceful enough. There, I think they were. I think they were the first to ever spin anything that we we ever tracked. And uh, yeah, and I, I bring it up because uh, you know that that it was just that time, and that they were an independent station that played not just whatever you know radio promoters were shoving down their throats. Like you heard stuff like Tripping Daisy and, yeah. and Hum and stuff like that. And, you know, along with, of course, you know, hearing Foo Fighters, Soundgarden, Pearl Jam. And, you know, the first time I remember hearing anything about Shaman's Harvest, I, I wanted to say it was on 98.3. And um, it was just an exciting time uh, for, for rock music in general. And um, then, uh, you know, 98.3 went away and 100.1 The Buzz, which was kind of a more it was a, it was a corporate station but you know they had some really great personalities there that were really driving things and it was around that time that that station started taking off that uh you released cardinal sin and uh that was kind of the first time that you really like came you guys came into focus for me and um you were really just packing out the the blue note at that point tell me a little bit about that era and what it was like to start to really get some momentum with what you were doing well, for, for us, I mean, again, you know, I, I wish you could appreciate these things as they're happening, uh, just like anything awesome in life. Um, you know, it was, the, that was the thing that really built us as a band, um, was that early 
I mean, being able to put some butts in a room at a place like the Blue Note, having a local club, which it's, I mean, w there's bands now don't have that. They don't have like their, there's not very many left and they're closing left and right, obviously. Um, so, and then like, you know, people wanted to go see music. It, re it wasn't really about who they were seeing it wasn't us it was just like that was the thing to do i think that was a really cool uh outlet for people that were you know in their early 20s high school kids whatever uh being able to go to a venue and and hang out and see music and uh just experience a show um and just we were you know being able to be a part of that you know just being being in the room of that um i I feel like it's probably part of a culture that's, you know, unfortunately, it ain't what it was. You know what I mean? Absolutely. I mean, it, so much has changed. I mean, you talk about just kind of the rebellious nature of 90s rock. I mean, there was something about it in, you know, and I, I can't even describe it. I, you know, it's, but I, you know, you have a lot of hormones and emo emotions in your adolescence and, you know, a lot of feelings that you just can't, you know, describe or explain. And it can come out in crazy ways but that just like moshing back then right. to this music, like, and it wasn't, it wasn't contrived. Like the reaction wasn't contrived. It was, it was legitimate. And, you know, I, whenever my, my kids are older and, you know, they're three and four right now, I, I can't wait to show them footage of like people moshing in, you know, the nineties and the, right. in the early aughts. Cause they're gonna be like, what are you guys doing? Like, it will probably seem barbaric to them, but they but it wasn't, you know, it was, I, I think a lot has changed. Like I think, you know, liability laws and, and stuff like sure. that, like a lot of venues don't don't want or, or don't want that to happen. But I also think that the generation that came up in that are kind of getting older and probably don't want to hurt throw their back out right. doing something crazy, even if they might be getting jacked on it. But yeah, it was a, yeah, it was I a stretch wrong time. and I throw my back out nowadays. Oh, but yeah. So, I mean, it was the, the, that was, it was absolute church. Like that's the, I mean, that's how I would correlate that whole experience. The primal, uh, just grabbing and being completely in tune with with that just thing where you just close your eyes and, you know, you reach up and you see it at people in church. That's I, I, I've never been a church-going guy myself, but I that's how I correlate uh, that thing. And, you know, it's, it's absolute religion. So... Yeah, it's hard to, how do you explain that to somebody? And I don't and like you said, I don't, I don't know, you know, of course all these venues have this, you know, they say no moshing and liability and stuff, but, you know, if people were in tune with that again, and I don't, it doesn't matter what a venue said, really, they would. It's true. You know, it's true. If it they takes, wanted to, if they want to make it happen. start and then the whole movement goes. But, uh, you know, I don't know if people are, in touch with that. I don't know if that's the music's fault or the industry's fault. All, you know, whatever society, you know, who knows? Yeah. I think, I think things have just changed. It's just, you know, whatever the force may be, you know, it's a different place. And that's not to say there's not, you know, great things happening all the time. I mean, uh, take a look at what you guys have done in the last 10 years. And yeah, I, I want to kind of jump over because, you know, things progressed way beyond just packing the blue note. 
and mm. uh, you guys had some uh, some uh, hopped on some really big tours uh, early on, and I know those were you know uh, helped build your character. You dropped some really fantastic albums in in the last ten years as well, and started to get that active rock radio play, and it led all the way up to even just a couple of years ago, you guys touring around uh, with uh, you know being main support for Nickelback. I mean, one yeah, of the biggest rock rock bands on the planet. So tell me a little bit about that progression for you and, you know, what, what, because I know, I mean, I, in so many ways, you and I have had a, just like a, a similar life in that, you know, and we're probably doing the same thing where whenever mm-hmm. we were kids, even before we knew how to play an instrument, we're, you know, imagining moments like what, what you have, uh, have lived through, like playing to can't imagine what, what the biggest crowd is, but thousands and thousands of people. Tell me a little bit about coming from, filling up the blue note, which is a great feeling to getting to that spot where you've achieved what most musicians dream of. Well, I wish my memory was perfect because there's so many moments that again, I wasn't taking in at the time. I really wish I would have, I mean, it started really, uh, just like you're supposed to, you know, you do, you build a local following, right. Uh, and then you do a little regional spiral. Like they, they, they teach you in the, in the book, uh, everything you need to know about music or whatever that book was. Um, every manager should tells you should buy, um, but don't pay too close attention to. Uh, yeah. So, <laughs> you know, when we built up a little spiral following and I think our very first tour that we called a tour, it was like a week or two out was with seven Mary three back in the day. This is like, I remember know, that way long time ago. I don't, I don't remember when, uh, but then <laughs> like, started grabbing more of a following and then the spiral got a little bit bigger and um cavo was gracious enough to take us out on this tour um across the country and that was kind of like and that was when they they had this huge hit uh champagne remember that song oh yeah mm-hmm. yeah <clears throat> great song um so you know and then we started getting into more markets and more markets and people were coming out to shows and um, the, the, the bread and butter were the, the, the venues like the blue note that are like the 800 person to 1200 person capacity. I mean, and then starting to fill those really is the same feeling. It's the same exact feeling as playing in front of 30, 40, 50,000 people. It, it's, it's the, it comes from the same exact place. It's a little more intense maybe, but, um, yeah, and just, you know, we just did it like you're supposed to. And we were going to call it quits. Uh, we were kind of, you know, we're just, it's time to move on. You know, we're all getting older and pushing that 30 mark that we all decided was, was the age that it was too old to rock and roll, uh, <laughs> which now is like, God, I wish. Um, yeah. <laughs> And we were going to call it quits, and then uh, we we wrote a song that we didn't think was really even all that good, but we just liked the vibe of it, and it was Dragonfly. And um, so we were just like, we don't even have, have enough songs. Let's just record an EP. We record the Shine EP. Um, and then they were just like, you know what? Our management was like, let's just you know see if what happens organically and threw that song out there to the four winds. Um, of radio and it just kind of started growing and we all got a call was like hey uh 
you have your first billboard charting single and uh you can't quit you we got to hit the road road and we're like oh okay uh yeah that's what that's when the cavo tour started um because there was a reason for them to take us out uh and it just kind of grew from there you know uh one single turned into the 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 next thing we recorded was uh smoking hearts and broken guns and you know we were lucky enough to have four singles off that record and uh the momentum just kept momentuming <laughs> well that's awesome man um i mean to say i'm proud of you guys is an understatement coming from the mid-missouri area and uh i mean especially the the scene itself you know is, is baked in with so many fantastic musicians i mean mm. you, you know uh, from between columbia and jeff city it's just Absolutely. ridiculous tell me a little bit about uh you know what that hometown support means to you because i mean you really are you know kind of the the pride of jeff city anytime I, I bring you guys up to to folks you know down there like everyone just you can tell like there's almost just like a glint of pride in their eye that that you guys are from their backyard they also got all the dirt too <laughs> that's, that's <laughs> what'd you say small, they also got all the dirt that's a <laughs> small town right <laughs> yeah maybe that's the look in their eye yeah like oh <laughs> Uh, no, it's, I mean, you know, I, I think that the, I've always thought that the idea that you had to come to Nashville or, uh, LA, whatever the, whatever the, the hot scene is of the time to be successful. I've always thought that was way backwards. I mean, it's, you know, you got like Chris Stapleton-esque singers on a Tuesday night here like playing in front of three people that really don't care, you know, cause they hear it every night. You know, it, it's it, the, it's a, it, it's absolutely a, a, it's kind of music's a weird, there's like this weird competition at the same time, you know, because there's only room for so many success, you know, successes or whatever. Uh, so, you know, that plays a part of it. And it, it really helped us really, to be honest, helped us grow. I mean, coming from, uh, a place that, you know, in the late 90s, when we first started, there really wasn't much of a rock. It was like, you know, cover, you had cover bands, but there wasn't a lot of people playing their own music. I mean, there were some bands, you know, there's like five or six of us, I feel like, uh, when when we did it. And um, it just... Uh, <laughs> So, so like, you know, when people, you know, and we all did the thing where you'd play the cover songs and you kind of sneak in your own kind of thing, you know, and really helped our chops. I think it helps every, any band's chops to sit there and do the four hour nights, right? Do you ever play yeah. pops like from, uh, oh, yeah, and yeah. Song, from like <laughs> yeah, midnight those, those to gigs. five in the morning, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I did that gig a lot in Jeff City too back in the day. Did you? I remember when we were first getting started, Decadent Nation was me and four guys from Jeff. And so I, w- I drove down there and, you know, practice every week. And we were more known in Jeff City than we were in Columbia at yeah. the start because we'd play, you know, places like, uh, oh man, the spot or, you know, whatever. What was the, what was the, the, it's not, it's not the same anymore. The, the two, the, like the two storied place that's right there on the main drag. Uh, what is that place? None of them are all the same anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but what was gone, the one, right? Like the biggest, oh. the biggest room. Yeah. Uh, uh, 
No, I know. Uh, was it Bones? Is that the name of it? That may have been it. Yeah. Oh man, I don't know. But anyway, bottom line is, is yeah, that was that was completely what we did at the start was, you know, people want to hear, you know, cover songs and stuff in in certain venues, and then you start to slide in your your original stuff. And yeah. after a while, people people are just as excited to hear your original stuff, you know, if you're doing it right. Right. Then as those covers. But did you but, find that you it helped your chops as a band, uh, like play together? Totally, yeah. Because I mean, the the thing about, I mean, I enjoy playing other people's stuff specifically for that reason, and because and I actually think that's what makes the Mid Missouri music scene right now really amazing. And it's always been good, even since two thousand, whenever I first kind of started tip, dip, dipping my toe in it. But it's it's so good now, specifically because there are uh, so many bands that are you know, or musicians rather that are playing in each other's bands and they're playing different styles of music and they're 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 uh stretching their legs into yeah. other genres and things of that sort shoot i just played last week a new song by the ridge runners that that drummer noel feldman has been played on my show more than any other artist because he's the drummer in the ridge runners the royal furs okay samaritan who are all fantastic bands but completely different from one another right. and so yeah i think there's a lot of merit to trying something different different playing with other people i think that's part of what makes our scene really special well we're uh i'm gonna start to uh to wrap things up here but i'm curious because you know actually uh phil your i've been talking to your manager phil he just texted me um while i was talking <laughs> was to he him. awake to uh, make the we've, <laughs> we've been playing phone tag yeah. but uh he he was telling me the other day when i was talking to him that you all might have some new music coming out uh, what's what's the word on that? And tell me what it's been like. I mean, I, I it, what's the writing and recording process been? Because oh he told me that the band's pretty much spread across North America right now in terms of where they're actually physically living. Yeah. So uh, tell 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 me what what if we might have something to look forward to soon, and yeah. what the process in terms of that new piece uh, may have been. Well, it, it was the process was <laughs> it was grueling. Um, you know. <clears throat> I, I love our record label, but belong, like most people think when you're not signed, that signing, you've made it. It's like, I know it's cliche at this point, but really it's like just like, that's really when you just kind of like, oh, now I have to actually go to like work kind of for somebody else. And so, you know, we'd put some songs together. Normally what I like to do when I make a record is, uh, and, and I, I know some of the other guys agree with me is, is kind of have a rough idea of the songs but i don't want to like polish them up until we're in the studio because you've already sometimes you can you can practice the magic out of a song you know that had more than more than sometimes so um normally what we do is we we just kind of write as we go which can get expensive uh and the labels you know obviously wants to be as much little spend as much as or as little as possible so we did a full-on demo process that took like four months like longer than it takes to make a record uh in the studio so uh and we brought in a, a producer he flew in and lived with us in jeff city we all lived in that this warehouse where we rehearsed um, the old warehouse like the, the old old warehouse no 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 <laughs> That one needed to be probably torn down and disinfected. But <laughs> I yeah. remember some wild nights in that place. Yeah. No, no. There's another spot we got now. Um, 
it's just where we store most of our stuff and rehearse it's great but um we we, tr we tracked all these demos there and then we'd send them to label and then there'd be a big fight between us and the label like you're supposed to have uh, whether it was good enough or not um and then we just like we finally just booked it ourselves and said uh okay look we're not t this that took we took basically a year off um <laughs> before the pandemic not realizing there was going to be a pandemic uh and then finally it took about a year to from the demo process and everything to track that record um and then um the pandemic hit <laughs> so so no one was in a hurry to release it but it is getting released this year i finally got the, the go ahead the song the record's called rebel later um it's um and I, and I think how we're going to do it now, I think, I guess this is how people are doing, releasing their stuff is they release like a, a track or two a month, you know, up until the full record release. Um, so I think the record will be coming out in the fall, but you'll be hearing tracks of it throughout the year. Awesome. Well, look forward to uh, hearing it and spinning it on the Big Money Music Hour. And Nathan, as always, it's been a it's been a great great time catching up with you man hell yeah Pre appreciate you uh making time and thanks uh, for hopping uh, in your studio and chatting with me yeah thanks for hanging out i needed somebody to hang out with it's just been me and my dogs <laughs> conversations well, usually one way <laughs> well whenever things get normal we'll have to get together and uh grab a beer absolutely so appreciate you man all right buddy all right, that's it for me this week, folks. I want to thank Nate from Shaman's Harvest for being my guest. I want to thank you for tuning in. And with that, I'm completely out of time. So keep on fighting the good fight, people. And on behalf of KBIA and LB Creative, this is Colin Lavote, the Shameless Voice, signing off.